Princes have persecuted me without a cause, but my heart standeth in awe of thy word. I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. I hate and abhor lying, but the law do I love. Seven times a day do I praise thee because of thy righteous judgments. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just do uh, thank you today uh, for this beautiful day you've given us again. God, thank you for your word, that we can come to it uh, freely uh, and learn from it. God, we just ask you to bless the service and be with Pastor. He delivers his message. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, brother. I'm going to key in on that last verse, 165. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. What does it take to, uh, to offend you? Um, there was a message I had heard years ago that greatly helped me. And it asked the question that we're going to look at today. Uh, are you unoffendable? Um, I'm going to share a couple of those principles uh, from that message. Of course, it's all from the Bible that we'll look at today. But... Um, one of the first sermons that I preached when I came here to be the pastor was actually this message, and I usually don't re-preach messages, but the uh, Lord really put this on my heart a while back, and uh, I believe this is what he has for us today. And, uh, and it's one of those areas in the Christian life that I think we often need to be reminded of. And, uh, and so there was a story I heard. I was going to kind of skip this story, but I think it is really helpful to see Many times, how far offenses can go. And when you step back and you ask, well, where did this offense start? We almost chuckle when we realize where the, root was, where the seed was planted. Because it tends to grow. And it tends to blow up into something. To where at the end, you're kind of like, uh, you might have this list of grievances. And you say, well, where did all that start? Well, it started when my shoelace was untied and I tripped over it. I mean, really, that's something that small. There was a man in a church, and uh, he was a uh, pretty successful man. He was, uh, he was, uh, he was homeschooled his uh, whole life and, uh, and tested real well and was accepted into a pristine university and went on and, and uh, 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 did real well in college and got his master's and, and eventually uh, went on, uh, got a really good job as, a, as an engineer and uh, it was, uh, became quite a wealthy man in the church, and, uh, and he was a godly man, and he was uh, one of the deacons of the church, and he was teaching one of the Sunday school classes, and in between the Sunday school and the main service, a lady came up and had commented on his tie. Well, he didn't take it, as a, uh, he didn't take it well, and he took an offense to uh, what the person had said about his tie, and he didn't even go to that second service, he just went home. It was a particularly full day, and the pastor was very busy, and didn't even notice the, the, the man was missing, and, and, uh, and then it wasn't until later on when he had missed a, a deacon's prayer meeting that the pastor started getting concerned, where's brother so-and-so, and uh, so he calls his, his, uh, his house, and uh, his wife, the deacon's wife, answers the phone, and, and, uh, and he says, yes, let me go get him, and, and uh, the pastor waits, and waits, and waits. And I'm going to tell you the rest of that story in a minute. 
I want to share something that I think is really crucial in the Christian life. You realize that we are in a spiritual war. I hope you realize that. You know, we, we talk about that a lot. You know, well, it's a spiritual battle. It really is. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and, and, and so forth. There is a battle going on. And, and let me just say, the devil is one that loves division, and he loves to create offenses, and he loves to divide, you know, cause, uh, if he can get a wedge in any relationship we have here on earth, uh, then he has won a great victory. And the problem is we don't see the one causing the offenses really. We see the one who is used in the offense. Well, you see, the problem is my wife. You see, the problem is my coworker, my boss, whatever it is. No, 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 no. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So if they're flesh and blood, you have to rule that out. That is not really the problem. And, uh, and so as we look at this, here's a key thought that I want to kind of... Uh, uh, wrap our minds around, we are in a war, and the enemy is out to stop you and defeat you. But he wants to do it in such a way that you will agree with him that it was justified. You will unwittingly accept defeat, and the way he will do it is with offenses. You know, it's amazing when we have an offense it, it'll lead us to make decisions. It'll lead us to withdraw. It will lead us to, to go in a direction that we know we ought not go, but here's what happens. When we do that, because of the offense, we will have justified it in our minds why we did what we did. I finally had enough, and I left my wife. And you can give Bible verse after Bible verse after Bible verse to that person, but it doesn't matter. They've justified it in their mind because somewhere along the way, there were one too many offenses. And you can, let me just say, you can apply this to all kinds of situations, but you'll be justified in your mind. I'm going to read that again. We're in a war and the enemy is out to stop you and defeat you, but he wants to do it in such a way that you will agree with him that it was justified. You will unwittingly accept defeat, and the way he will do this is with offenses. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Nothing shall offend them. Are you unoffendable? Luke 17, and verse number 1, Jesus is teaching, and he said unto his disciples, It is impossible, but that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. Hey, don't look now, but an offense is coming your way. First of all, I want to talk about the possibility of offenses. I want to say this. There is not a good chance that you'll be offended. There is not even a 99% chance that you'll be offended. It is a guarantee that you will be offended. An offense is coming your way. It's coming. Buckle up. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. It's a certainty. I want to kind of involve the church a little bit. Why don't you look to the person next to you and say, an offense is coming your way. Parents, I want you to look at your children 
I want you to look at your children and say, you will be offended one day. Children, look to your parents and say, you are going to be offended one day. If you're sitting with your spouse, husbands, look to your wife and say, I don't want to, but I will probably offend you. <laughs> Wives, look to your husbands and say, I don't want to, but I will probably offend you. <clears throat> Funny thing with the wives, I didn't hear the I don't want to part. <clears throat> I want to look to you, church, as your pastor. I never want to. But I know I've offended some. And I will offend more. I don't want to. But you know, we're humans. Imperfect people. In fact, church, I want you to look at me. And I want you to accept the fact, Pastor, we're going to offend you. <clears throat> I can hardly say it. We're going to offend you. Thank you, Blake. Because it happens. These are dynamics of a church body. These are dynamics of relationships once you get more than one people. In fact, by myself, I was by myself studying my office yesterday, and I offended myself. <laughs> you know, you've heard the cliche, if you're uh, looking for a perfect church and you find one, don't join it because you'll mess it up. The reality is, where there are relationships, there are going to be offenses. Jesus made it very clear, it is impossible, but that offenses will come. The offense is going to come. I think I worded it improperly a minute ago. The offense will come, but that doesn't mean we need to be offended. It is impossible, but that offenses will come. The question is not, is the offense coming your way? The question is, are you offendable? That's really the question. Romans 1 in verse number 20, it says, For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they're without excuse. It is amazing how much God teaches us in creation. Have you ever noticed that? You know, there are, uh, there are certain animals... Uh, uh, during uh, during our, when our kids program is in, is uh, is going on our CIA, um, we go through the different character qualities laid out in Scripture. Many of them personified by the Lord Jesus Himself. And uh, one of the things I like about uh, the curriculum that we go through is is many times we point to God's creation to illustrate. It is amazing in animals and in certain things in nature. God uses uh, God illustrates truths. Now let me just say this. God laid out the truth first, then he created the animal. And he thought this would be a great illustration. All right? Um, there's a good uh, illustration of pride in creation. There's an interesting fish. And when it comes around something that threatens it, you know what it does? It puffs itself up. The Bible talks about being puffed up, right? And you can look at that fish and say, that's exactly what being puffed up is. And, uh, and pride, you know, making yourself look like, you, you know, uh, look at me, look at, look at who I am, right? There's an interesting animal um, in Africa, the baboon. The baboons are incredible creatures. This, uh, this pastor was visiting a, a missionary over there, and they took him on an African safari, and they, 
they went to, they went to these, uh, they, they saw this uh, baboon in this tree, and they got out of the car, and they're videoing it, and he's standing by the tree looking like he's all brave, and, and, uh, and suddenly a branch broke, and that, uh, that baboon fell from one branch to another and finally caught himself, and all of a sudden they realized there wasn't just one baboon in this tree. The tree was full of them, and the whole thing just lit up with noise and shaking, and they're all screaming, and he, and he darted back to that jeep. <laughs> and uh, anyways, they went back to the village, and they had told one of the, the guides about these baboons, and he said, oh, he says something that a lot of people don't understand about baboons. He said, uh, they hold grudges when they get offended. They will hold a grudge for a family member that was offended. He said, if you do something that they perceive as harm or threatening, he said, they will remember your scent and they will hunt you down. He said, they'll travel 40, 50 miles chasing after you and, and stalking you and trying to find you to get even. They will not let go of a grudge, an offense. It's hard to let go of offenses sometimes. You've heard the expression, water off a duck's back. It's so much easier said than done. Finish this phrase. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but... Do you know you're not supposed to lie in church? Not supposed to lie ever, but... That is one of the first lies you learn as a child, isn't it? Trying to teach them to be tough and to take it. You know, the reality is words do hurt. And offenses will come. But you know, there's a positive purpose for offenses that God wants to do in our lives. You know, we understand that people offend people. Wherever you find people interacting, there are going to be offenses. But, but let's, let's take the, the step further. It's almost like God himself at times deliberately offends us. Let that sink in for a minute. It's, it's almost like, like that there are times that, that God is maybe putting circumstances together, allowing people into our lives across paths with us as though he himself is trying to offend us. Why? Because he has a positive purpose for doing so. He sees something good that the offense will accomplish if we respond in the right way. How many people here would like to see God take you from where you're at right now and take you to the next level? whether it be in your spiritual life, whether it be in your work and business, whether it be financial. But, but you want to see God grow you to a point where he takes you to the next level. You know one of the ways he's going to do that? Offenses. Difficulties. Trials. First, I'm going to talk about why God does it, then how he does it. He does it, first of all, to humble us. To humble us so that he can exalt us. What is it in us that gets offended? What inside of me is it that responds when an offense comes? My pride. It's my pride. Why did I get offended? Because I'm proud. So what do I do? The puffer fish. It's our pride. By the way, I've searched, and you cannot find in the Bible one positive 
statement connected, correlated to the word pride. You're not going to find it. In fact, it's listed in the things that God very specifically says that he hates. In the New Testament, it says that God resists those that are proud. He, 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 he put, almost like he pushes you away and, 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 and turns his face against you, so to speak. In James 4, 6, but he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace to who? The humble. Verse 10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter 5, 6, humble yourself therefore under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. It's amazing how, how God says, when you do it my way, when you get it in my order, when you've been lowered, he said, I'll be the one to lift you up. Understand, promotion comes not from the east or the west, but from above. And, and, and God is the one that will elevate. God is the one that will lift up. But, but, but here's what he says. First, if you want God to do it his way, we have to lower. Isn't that so contrary to our thinking? Well, if I want promotion, if I want to get ahead, I gotta, I gotta impress everybody. I gotta show them that I'm I'm the one that's large and in charge. And they just need to make it official. God says, lower yourself. It's so hard because we want to look competent. We want to look like we got it all together. Before every job interview I've gone into, I've I prayed a prayer like this, Lord, help me to be humble. Which is funny because the job interview, you're trying to sell yourself, aren't you? I said, Lord, help me be humble. It's amazing how he just kind of takes care of the rest. When offenses come, um, we have to recognize that God is trying to do something. We'll either get offended or we can say, God is trying to give me more grace by humbling me so I can move forward and upward in the Christian life. Your life as a Christian can be compared to, a, uh, if you would, a garden hose. The Holy Spirit is trying to flow through you and trying to, to bless you and, and, and bring refreshing water to others. And, and what happens is offenses are like a kink in the hose. It, it, it's going to stop the flow, and it's going to, it's going to back up that hose, and what, 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 it's full of pressure. But you're not helping anybody else. You're not refreshing others. And, you know, the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit flowing out of us as, as, as rivers of water, so to speak. And, and, and what happens is we, we, we clog that hose, if you would, with offenses. And have you been a, have ever uh, encountered an offended Christian? And when you get around them, the best word to describe them is refreshing. We all chuckled, right? Because it's the exact opposite. Okay, What happens? Well, you're not seeing Christianity flowing out of them. You're not seeing victory. You're not seeing grace. You're not seeing you know, the victorious Christian life that we talk so much about. Uh, what are you seeing? You're seeing defeat. You're seeing like something's wrong. It's not quite connecting. It's not computing. God does it to humble us, to lower us, if you would, so his grace can lift us up. 
So how does he do it? We can expect that something, uh, that someone is going to do something or say something a certain way that, that they, they do not, um, uh, it's not necessarily what they, uh, excuse me, my sentence is incomplete on here, so I'm just going to skip past it. <laughs> Someone's going to do something or say something in a certain way that, uh, that, 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 that we didn't want them to do. They didn't want it. We don't, I don't want to hear that from them. You see, um, <clears throat> Pastor, did you know you said, um, 67 times in your sermon today? <clears throat> That's what I try to do. Isn't that helpful? Wasn't that helpful of you to tell, that, tell me that? <laughs> this comedian said someone approached him after his show and said, you mispronounced every single word in your show tonight. What? How's that even possible? But, uh, you know, there are just people there. That's their duty. That's their calling in life. To find out all the errors of everything. But people are going to do something you didn't want them to do. Say something you didn't want them to say. And, and then that becomes an offense. Let me just say this, and this, this has been helpful to me. Expectations ruin relationships. I read a... Uh, a book before I married my bride 17 years ago. And uh, there was a concept in there that basically, uh, it wasn't th those words exactly, but it was that concept of expectations ruin relationships. And, and it was talking about, you know, not expecting her to cook like your mother and that kind of stuff. And, you know, and uh, if she burns the toast, it's okay. She's not going to, it doesn't mean she's going to be a bad wife. And luckily, I married a good cook. She just had to learn all the other things. No. Um, but expectations. I thought it was going to be like this. I thought this was going to take place. And, and listen, uh, uh, many of you could probably attest to seeing this maybe in the job. Or, you know, I thought I was taking this kind of a position. Or I thought this is how it was going to play out. And, and when it's different, there's this conflict going on. And what can happen is an offense can arise somewhere where there was never an intention to offend. But, but this is how I took it. And this is, this is what took place. And you see, expectations cut us off from the blessings that God has for us when we are unoffendable. When we have an expectation that is not met, it's going to cut us off from had we taken it as someone who has reached that point of being unoffendable. I'll give you a story you may be familiar with it. In 2 Kings chapter 5, there's a captain, a military man by the name of Naaman. He's a host in the, uh, uh, over the army of a uh, king of Syria. And he had leprosy. And he had heard from a widow woman who Elisha had ministered to that there is a prophet that might be able to help him. And so he takes his entourage and they head over to Elijah the prophet's house. And they knock on the door. Now the prophet was home, but he sends his servant to the door. First, first possibility for offenses, right? Can you imagine the President of the United States showing up at your house? It's not quite the same, but showing up at your house and, and you send your kids to the door to go take a message? Right? I heard a story, my wife and I, we toured um, in, in California, there's the, the Winchester Mansion. And uh, phenomenal story, it's just weird, Okay. But uh, this, this woman, Mrs. Winchester, she 
started building and never stopped building until she died, and there's all these unfinished rooms and everything. Well, the story goes that, uh, that President uh, uh, Roosevelt was a big fan of the Winchester rifles. And one day he was in California, and he thought he would swing by the Winchester mansion. He knocks on the front door. One of the servants does not recognize him as the president. You know, they didn't have TV and stuff we have where, you know, everyone knows what the president looks like. And, uh, and they said, uh, they, they told him, no one comes through the front door except Mrs. Winchester. You can go around back with the servants. And he was so offended, he left, and he never got to, Mrs. Winchester never got to sit down with the president. That's the story. I don't know how true it is, but, uh, but you can see what's going on here. In 2 Kings 5.10, Elijah sent his messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall again come to thee, and thou shalt be clean. Well, Naaman got angry. He got upset by this. It says in the next verse, And Naaman was wroth, and went away and said, Behold, I thought. There it is. Expectation. He had a certain expectation how he should be treated. Certain expectation how it should go. He said, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and, and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. You know, we have certain expectations we put on God sometimes. God, I thought you would do it this way. Or, Lord, I've been praying and here are the options. Could you please pick one? And God's saying, I'm not even like in the same hemisphere as you right now, with the way, the way God's thinking towards the thing. I thought, I thought he would come and he'd pray over me and, and this is what would happen. 2 Kings 5, verse 13 and 14, the servant came near and spake unto him and said, My father, this is, this is Naaman's servant, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou have not done it? How much rather then when he said to thee, Wash and be clean, then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a child, and he was clean. Just the act of doing that. By the way, the Jordan River is quite dirty. And here's this military man. I'm not going to go do that. To do that, he had to take a word of a servant. He had to then take the word of his own servant. Have you ever been corrected by your children, but you know they're right? He goes down to the river. He's like, this is embarrassing. He baptizes himself seven times. You imagine people coming around by now? Look at he's doing it again. He went down again. What is he doing? Then he comes out and he's all clean. He almost missed a blessing this close. And I just wonder how many times we may have missed maybe healing that God had for us. Maybe, maybe in our marriages or, or blessings in our children's life or the direction from God in our lives. Why? Because quite frankly, we got offended. Something in there blocked what God wanted to do. And the whole time along the way, we were justified in our minds. Boy, I can't tell you story after story. I've been at this thing long enough to see lives that have been destroyed from violating, breaking God's principles, but they overlooked everything because there was an offense there and they, they were just stuck on it. Unwilling to make it right and unwilling to, to, to deal with it biblically. And, and what ends up happening is that they were once a vibrant Christian. They find themselves completely falling out of church and losing their job. Family falls apart. I mean, just story. I mean, you've heard the story. Same old story, different name. 
over and over again. And, and if you're to trace it back, where did it all go wrong? An offense. An offense took place. There's a verse in the Bible. I think it's one of the most important verses for a pastor. 1 Peter 5, 2 and 3. Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof. Not by constraint, but willingly. <laughs> you can't force me to be your pastor. i got to do it willingly. Not for filthy lucre or money, but of a ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but be examples to the flock. You know, it was a great day when I narrowed it down and said, what is my main job? What is my duty as a pastor? You know, some pastors are really good at different things. Um, and I really struggled putting expectations on myself that really didn't belong on my shoulders. My job is to feed the flock and to be an example You ever thought what's the most important verse as a church member? I think I can make a good case for Hebrews 13, verse number 17. I'm going I'm to share why. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit. The word there, submit, is a different word than is used for like husbands and wives. It, 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 it's, it, it, here's really what it means. It, it means yield your natural combative nature. Kind of, you know, it's, it's near, it's like a kind of a military term, but yield your naturally combative nature. You know, if I was your boss, if I paid your paycheck, right, there's a certain amount of, well, he pays my salary, and so a certain amount that, uh, that of abuse you can take, right? But you know the funny thing about church is it's voluntary. <laughs> it's a volunteer army. And it's amazing how, how, you know, well, who does he think he is? And now, now keep in mind, my verse, not lording over God's heritage, right? I'm not to, I'm not to, to take it like that, but, but there, is, there, there are two sides of this coin. It says, it says to submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. You know what my job is? If I'm doing it right and if I'm doing it well, I'm constantly on the look. I'm constantly trying to watch. I'm asking God for discernment. I'm, I'm trying to get into your families and, and seeing where you're at and, and watching for you. In other places, it says to know the state of the flock. How do I know that? I, 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 am, to, I am to watch for the souls, watching to meet needs and, and so forth. And, and it says, as they that must give an account. You will not stand before God and give an account for your pastor. But your pastor will stand before God and give account for you. That's why it's so devastating for a pastor when sheep wander away, when they go astray. There is a part of that that there's somewhat of personal responsibility that will eat at you. It's tough. And it goes on, it says that they may do it, give an account with joy and not with grief. For that is unprofitable for you. Now it's not in the text, but I'd like to say that it's unprofitable for the pastor as well. But it's unprofitable for you. 
When there are offenses and when there are divisions, things going on, I will tell you, if, if, if you're watching, when you're going through that, you're seeing, you know, maybe different aspects of that, but, but, but whether it be me or, or in another church or another setting, you watch that pastor. He'll hide it the best he can. He'll get up Sunday after Sunday and preach the word and love on the people. But you'll see, it's unprofitable for him. It hurts. But the point there that God's bringing our attention to is that's unprofitable for you who caused the grief. You might say, well, preacher, you don't know everything. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm, I'm a dumb sheep, too. You know, but it's kind of like parents. The Bible does not tell children to honor your parents if they're believers. It doesn't say to honor your parents if they're, if they're good, strong Christians. It says to honor your parents. And, and that includes if they're lost. And then we immediately start going down the road. Well, what if they... No, no. Just, let's just not play that game right now. You honor your parents. If your pastor has grief from relationships with you, and he's trying to help you with your, with your family and your problems and just, just trying to be there. Uh, here, here's the reality. It is unprofitable for me, but God's point out, it's unprofitable for you. Think of story after story of offenses leading to church splits and leading to different things. I know a pastor that uh, after uh, over 30 years in ministry, he finally had to step out of ministry because his doctor said it was going to kill him. Uh, he had a heart attack. After his heart attack, he was in the hospital, and the nurses were filling out everything. And, and when they asked what his uh, profession was, they're filling it out, they put the clipboard down. And he said, he said you're the number one profession as far as a, uh, a candidate for a heart attack, as far as professions are concerned. And he was not overweight. He was a healthy guy. He had endured a, uh, some, tough, some tough times. If, if you bring grief to the pastor instead of joy, it is unprofitable for you. So many people have messed up their lives simply because they, they got offended by their pastor. And, and, you know, boy, it's a hard topic to talk about, but, but there is there's an element I think is so important of the, of the, of the pastor-member relationship. Um, and I need to do a better job at it, honestly. But to where, to where we're, we're, we, we have a relationship to begin with. You know, I've never been in a church where, you know, that I wasn't the pastor of, uh, just as a member, just as a regular person. I've never been in a church where I could say I was close to my pastor. I never was. I never had the pastor in my home. I've never been in the pastor's home. And, and uh, um, I think one time, I remember as a kid, one time, it was for like a Christmas party or something. Never had that relationship. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to have that. I look to the Bible and I say, what I've seen and what I think the Bible teaches, I, I found to be two different things. But to be close there, and, to, and, and a part of that is this. Guess what, church? I'm vulnerable, and you're going to see all my problems if I get close to you. 
And there's a lot more potential for those problems. Guess what? You're going to find out my children are just like your children, little sinners. They're supposed to be angels. They're the pastor's kids. And I, I'm, not, I'm not venting. I'm, I'm, I'm preparing you, church, so we don't go down that road, okay? <laughs> because those words will come off some of your lips someday. The pastor's kids aren't supposed to do that. God offends us to humble us so he can give us grace to exalt us. In Numbers 12, 14, uh, it talks about customarily that it, it's a, basically an insult to spit in someone's face. I would say the same today. I would say in this, in, in 2020, it is a grave insult to spit in someone's face. I saw a video of somebody early on in this COVID thing and. uh, and, and uh, he was uh, sneezing intentionally on, like, produce and stuff. And, and a guy ran up in the grocery market and just, like, knocked him out. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because it can be looked at as kind of like biological terrorism, if, in a sense, right? And, um, but it was an insult uh, to spit in someone's face. There's an interesting miracle that Jesus does that's uh, quite fascinating. But have you ever considered the blind man in John 9... Uh, if he would have been healed, if he had been easily offended. In John 9, verse number 6, it says, When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, how much spitting do you need to do to make mud? See, every time I read that, I always thought, you know, just pff, grabs it and does the same. Now, now, keep in mind, the blind man's here. He can't see what's going on. But you know what he hears? Jesus gets down. Until there's enough that he makes spittle. Dirt and spit together and making mud. And he's standing here. And then he hears it stop. And then there's wet, gritty texture put in his eyes. Please don't tell, please tell me that's not what I think it is. <laughs> He's got this muddy spit now on his eyes. You know, there were times when Jesus would heal somebody just by speaking the words. Other times, just by putting a hand on them. Jesus went here then, to make matters worse, he sends the man across town. John 9, 7, and said unto him, Go wash in the pond, or excuse me, the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. And he went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. He has to go across town, wash it out, and then he comes back to find Jesus again, comes back seeing. This man could have said, what's going on? I hear spitting. What, you want me to walk across town with spit on my face? Because think about what the others are going to see. What is wrong with that guy? Is that, what is, what's on his face? Can I say, that's humiliating. By the way, what's the root word of Humiliating. 
humble. Same root word for humble. Sometimes it takes some humiliation to humble us. Here's another one that just intrigues me. Matthew 8, or see, Matthew 15, 22. Behold a woman of Canaan. Now, a Canaanite, Jew or not Jew? Non-Jew, Gentile, like us. I don't think there are any Jews here. Are there any Jews here? We're all Gentiles. Came out of the same coast and cried unto him, Jesus, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, and he answered her not a word. Now, can you imagine this? Imagine me, just, you know, after the service, one of you comes up to me, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. And I'm just like, and they come around, Pastor, I really need to talk to you. I just turn on my back. I mean, you know how insulting that would be? And she, he doesn't even respond to this woman. By the way, she, she acknowledges his, his deity, if you would, the promise of Messiah, son of David. That's a term of, 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 of his title, of his uh, being the Messiah. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she crieth after us. See, they, they saw her as a Canaanite, not a Jew. She, you don't need to give her time of day. But he answered and said, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, now he finally answers, It is not meet to take the children's bread, children being the Jews, and to cast it to dogs. He just called this woman a dog. Now, in our culture, is that a nice thing to say to a lady? It was even worse in that culture. Because we have dogs as pets. Don't we love our dogs? They didn't really have dogs as pets. Dogs were scavengers. Dogs were, you know, you see other places, uh, uh, Paul says to Timothy, beware of dogs. And he, and he relates dogs to those that are going to cause uh, uh, so uh, 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 false doctrine and so forth. Beware of dogs. They're scavengers. He calls his woman a dog. So she says, fine, I'll go somewhere else. Because she was offended. No, she doesn't get offended. Then, she, then came she and worshipped him. She doesn't stop, saying, Lord, help me. Uh, um, oh, that's the verse I just said. He, uh, he says, uh, and he answered and said, It is not me. Take children's bread and cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord. But the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. As you're ministering to your people, if I can just get some spillover. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole that very hour. Wow. He ignored her. He called her a dog. And if she was offended, her daughter would be dead. Her daughter would never been healed. But her humility... Amazing story, really. She would have never received what Jesus had for her. You see, the destiny, uh, the destiny that God has for man unfolds or dies at the junctions of our feelings. How you handle offenses may be the key that unlocks the door for your tomorrow. How you handle it. 
when you look at it in the eyes of faith, he says, this woman, great is thy faith. She, she was going to look past this because she knew he had the answer. She knew that he could help. And it didn't really didn't matter what, what he had said. She didn't have time to get caught up in, in even the details and analyze. What did he mean by dog? And, uh, you know, don't we do that? What did, he, what did they mean when they said that? One of the great offenders in this church, I don't think he's here this morning, so I'm going to pick on him. He doesn't mean to be, but Lucas. He comes to me often and says, you said a lot of words today. You, you talked for a long time today. Thank you, buddy. <laughs> I'm playing. I mean, I'm not offended by Lucas, but uh, I, I love the honesty of children. One of the other children came to me one night during our potluck. She said, can you not go so long tonight because I'm really hungry? Whenever you hear about someone being offended, your next thought should be, I wonder what phenomenal blessing God, God is about to give them. And now they're going to lose out on it because of that phenomenal blessing. Because they got offended. I wonder what it was that God had for them. By the way, you can attach this to trials. You can attach this concept to a lot of, a lot of things, hurts that come our way. But it's these offenses that just seem to block it. God has a purpose for offenses. But you know, Satan also has a purpose for offenses. Satan wants to get you in a bad attitude about it. And make it bigger than it really was. And let that thing just kind of blow up. And uh, here's something I had heard uh, often, which is kind of, kind of unhelpful. A, a, uh, a carnal person can take something so small and blow it out of proportion to something huge. But a spiritual person can take something potentially huge and detrimental and bring it down to a very small thing. See it for what it really is. And we can get past this. <clears throat> Excuse me. We can work through this. I heard the story. There was a church that they, uh, they would sing happy birthday on Sunday nights. And there was a guy whose birthday was missed. And that's why we don't do it. And this guy, big, big guy, you know, like, a, like you wouldn't be surprised if you see him pull up in like a Harley, right? Uh, unlike Jason, he doesn't look like a Harley guy. Big guy. Because of the pastor, pastor. I mean, verge of tears. You didn't sing happy birthday to me tonight. Now, the big man, the pastor thought he was joking. Oh, you know, pats him on the back, and he just loses it. <gasps> now, we're going to chuckle because we think, well, that's kind of silly. You'd be surprised. You know, it's people that get offended. You know what they do? They split churches. Now, let me ask you, is that of God or is that of the devil? That's what happens. You know, there's a right way to start a church. Churches give birth to churches. They send, like, like, like Paul and Barnabas were sent out of their church. We have, we have a great example. But you know how many churches were started over splits? You see it a lot down south, right? Baptist church in every corner. We have the second Baptist church. 
I always thought that was funny to name your church that. The third Baptist church, the fourth Baptist What? You know, there are a lot of other words you can put there. <laughs> By the way, if you're upset and you're going to split the church and go start a church across town, why don't you go somewhere where there's not a church? You know, there are a lot of places where there's not what I would consider, what a lot of people would consider a good Bible-believing church. But then again, I don't know if I want you to go do that with a bad attitude. People who get offended, they break fellowship. Not just with their church, but let me just say, many times with God. They break fellowship with God. They get mad. People get offended, they'll leave, and, and many times they'll go to a liberal or an apostate church just because they don't want to reconcile in the church that they're at. Well, I'll go somewhere that'll make me feel better. And by the way, I, I, hope, <laughs> I hope that the mark of a good doctrinal church is not that they're going to always hurt your feelings. Because that's kind of what starts to happen. And so we're going to go somewhere they're always singing my praises. I hope you go somewhere that's singing his praises, first of all. But, but that tends to be what happens, you know, because, you know, well, we have the truth. Well, why are you so mad about it? <laughs> We can still be loving, right, and stand firm on the Word of God. But what ends up happening is these offenses, they'll associate it with everything you believed. They'll associate it with your stand on the Bible. And what happens is that offense leads you to go way off to where you never thought you would. I have a dear friend. I never thought he would go this direction. And that's exactly what happened to him. He's at least in church, but he just went complete 180 in the direction he went because he got offended in the church that he grew up in. People get offended, they backslide. In our opening story, that deacon, that Sunday school teacher, a leader in his church, got offended. The pastor tried to call him, and he wouldn't take the call. After about five minutes or so of him waiting, the wife said they can't come to the phone. He tried to call again, and he tried to call again. Something that that lady said about his tie offended him, and then he got more offended when the pastor didn't miss him that Sunday. And then, and then the next Sunday goes by and, he, and the pastor doesn't notice. And next thing you know, he drops out of church overnight. And his wife and daughter, daughter continue to attend without him. And Listen, I don't care who you are, but when the man drops out, when dad drops out, anything can happen. Dads, you are the spiritual leader of your home. Anything can happen. He stopped receiving the exhortation he needs as we not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as a matter of some is, but exhorting one another. That's what happens when we come together. There should be exhortation, exhorting one another, and so much the more as we see the day approaching. And there's not Bible exhortation, there's not instruction, there's not, there's not uh, you know, growing in the Word in your walk with God. We see the possibility of offenses and God's purpose, God's positive purpose in it. And let's look for peace in the offenses and we'll be done. It says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. To become undefendable, unoffendable, you must develop a proper relationship with the Word of God. Great peace have they which what? Love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Anytime you find yourself offended, the first thing you should do is say, uh-oh, there's something wrong with my relationship with the Word of God. 
You might say, well, there's, you know, maybe it means there's something wrong, you know, spiritually. Maybe there's something wrong with God. Yeah, well, that all is going to connect to, how do we know God, by the way? <laughs> I look for dreams and visions. You know, a lot of people are drawn to that stuff because they're lazy. Because it isn't so much easier to say, I prayed and now I'm waiting on God. It takes work. Study to show thyself approved unto God. That takes work. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes some work to know God in his word. Now, it shouldn't have to be a chore, but maybe sometimes it's kind of a chore. Maybe sometimes you're like, I got to do it or else I'm going to get cold. Other times you're like, I just don't want to put it down. And there'll be seasons. But you've got to ask yourself, what's going on with my relationship with the Word of God? It's, it's not just a book. You, you hear that preacher preach some. It is a living by, It is a living book. And again, it's amazing how it meets needs. It's amazing how you can go to the same passage you've been to a hundred times, and all of a sudden God says, here's what you need right now. Here, here's, here's the truth you need. Here's that nugget that you need. You say, well, I read my Bible, but do you love your Bible? Do you love it? You know, you can't love somebody without spending time or making it a big part of your life. I love my wife. We've been married for uh, 17 years now. What if I never came home all of a sudden? Oh, I love her. Yeah, when was the last time you were home? I don't know, a couple weeks now. I guess I should check in and see how things are. At some point you'd say, you don't love your wife. You don't even want to be around her. Now, I have an unusual relationship with my wife. I think, uh, I think what would drive most couples crazy, we are totally content just being around each other all the time. We'll go on a road trip, we'll do things like, we're just, we'll, we can be stuck in a car together and just be completely happy. Others, I remember one time I, there was a couple in our church when I was in California, and he, uh, he was out of work, and she was... Uh, uh, Long story short, they were both out of work and, uh, and just home all the time. And they were all, they were, they'd get in these knockdown, drag-out fights. She would beat him up. I'm serious. And I would show up, and I'd look at him, and I'd say, look, it's time for you to be the man in your home. You need to get a job. You guys can't have this much time together, okay? But you know what? That's just not an issue with my wife and I. I don't have a job. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but we'll spend time together, and we just we never get tired of it. I love her, and I... And, my point is, you spend time. David mentions seven times in Psalm 119 his love for the Word of God, plus it's the overall theme of, the, of this, uh, this chapter. Um, Psalm 119 to 127, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. And how many times in a day do you think about money, by the way? We're always thinking about money, right? We're always thinking about projects and thinking about all these things. And, and, but how many times a day do you think about what God said? about his word. People who get offended have a problem with loving God's word as they should. Second thing to do as, 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 uh, to find peace for offenses is that you have to dodge offensive and divisive people. You know, there are people that's just how they tick. Here's why. They're going to take up your offense and they're going to try to get you to take up theirs. They're going to take up your offense and try to give you theirs. I don't have enough arms for all that baggage. I'm sorry. And uh, listen, as a, as a pastor, I, I really, I can't. Because I'll carry all your baggage if, if you let me. 
if, I, if, uh, if I'm not careful. Be careful. Let me just say, God is going to give you grace for your offense, but he's not going to give you grace for someone else's offense. You're just not going to, you can't show me that from the Bible. And here's what happens. We'll get offended. I've seen somebody get offended on someone else's behalf, and they themselves were never even offended. Maybe, maybe, there was a, maybe there was some kind of joking around, some sarcasm between two friends. And someone overheard, oh, 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 oh. they're calling, and calling up, are you okay? What, what do you mean? I heard what so-and-so said to you. I don't, I don't even, what? And now they're all worked up. They've already told it to half the church. I, I'm making light of it, but this is a real thing. This happens. Romans 16, verse 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have, re, you have learned and avoid them. Mark people that cause divisions and offenses. Interesting. People that are always so sad and are, you know, or people are always uh, looking for the juiciest gossip. Now, don't snub them, but uh, avoid them. Mark them and, and, and avoid them. You avoid those who get offended, who share their offenses, and try to get you to share yours. And then thirdly, die to self. In 1 Corinthians 15, 31, it says, I die daily. Daily. It's this concept of, of laying it down, if you would. Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life that I live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. As we look at our life and, and we look at the way we respond, we have to ask ourselves, was that Christ or was that me? Because if it was me, that means I wasn't dead. We could go this morning and go down to the cemetery and pick some people and just start yelling at them, cussing them out, these people in the graves. And you know what you're going to find? You know what kind of a response you're going to get out of them? Nothing. They're dead. Two preachers of yesteryear we're in a car together, Bobby Robinson and Lester Roloff. And uh, Pastor Robinson was uh, telling a joke to Roloff, and it didn't really sit well. There was kind of an awkward silence after the joke, and they're sitting in there. And he said, preacher, he said, uh, I realize maybe my joke was a little questionable and off-color. If I offended you, I'm very sorry. To which he looked at him and he said, uh, you've got nothing to be sorry. If I was offended, that's my fault. I'm supposed to be dead. I have a little book in my office that says that it's the book that changed uh, Lee Robertson's life called When Did You Die? I'm supposed to be dead. If I'm offended, it's my problem. Back to this man in our story. At this point, he had now dropped out of church. I don't care who you are, no one's able to make it apart from church. That's God's plan. 
Now, church is not perfect, and, and I want to say this, church is not a prerequisite for heaven. We always make it about salvation, don't we? Well, you're saying I have to go to church to go to heaven? No. No. <laughs> Please understand me, no. We had some baptisms two weeks ago. But let me say, you can go to heaven without a baptism. You can go to heaven. In fact, any, anything that you might try to rely on, I'm going to say, is the wrong answer. It's not by works of righteousness as we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. But I'm going to say, you need church. You need God's people. You're just not going to find in the Bible this concept in the New Testament of, of a renegade Christian. We are in the New Testament church age uh, uh, to where, where God says we need each other. This man, he lost it. He was a deacon. He was a Sunday school teacher. He had a great job. He started drinking. Became abusive to his wife, abusive to his children. His wife eventually left him. He got a DUI and lost his job. He enrolled in an addictions program, and the pastor found out and visited him. And the pastor said, he said to his pastor, he said, it all started over what the lady said to me between Sunday school and the service about my tie. So then I got mad at you because you didn't notice I was gone. Then it started multiplying offense after offense, then he said to him, he said, by the way, do you know what she said about my tie that offended me? She said to him, you know what? That tie would make a pretty dress. Ruined his life over it. I wasn't going to share that story, but I think that story is good to share because it is that, it can be that fickle. It can be that silly. She probably didn't even mean it in an offensive way. By the way, if you buy a colorful tie, you're probably wanting a comment anyway. He was proud of that tie. That would make a pretty dress. <gasps> Ruined his life. Great peace have they which love thy law and nothing shall offend them. I do believe. Hey, listen, offenses are going to come, I promise you. I'm not a prophet, but listen, offenses will come. But we can get to the place where we really are unoffendable. And we're at great peace. Have they which love thy law, nothing shall offend them. I want to... I think we need to be reminded of this lens from time to time, quite often actually, to realize that when I'm offended, there's a problem, and it's not with the person that offended me. The devil wants to get in there and justify your offense. You've got a right to be angry. Offenses and bitterness, when we hold on to them, it's like me drinking poison and hoping you die. It doesn't work that way. We're going to block God's best for us.